What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Those commercials were lame, right? If you like My Funeral Home Stories and want to listen commercial-free, go to MyFuneralHomeStories.com and get Collection 1. That's seasons one through three, plus an exclusive 45-minute journal entry for eight bucks. Please consider going commercial-free. This is the best way to support My Funeral Home Stories, and it's also the best way to listen. It feels like the audiobook I want you to hear without a bunch of stupid commercials. I hate that you have to fast-forward through commercials to listen to My Funeral Home Stories, but it's a necessary evil. I just want to write stories about dead people. So go to MyFuneralHomeStories.com and get all 17 of my fucked up stories, plus that shotgun suicide highway pileup of a 45-minute epilogue for $8. All this money goes back to me, the creator, not a third party. You have no idea how much this actually helps. Anyway, enjoy this episode. The following account is real. Names have been changed to protect the living and the innocent. This journal contains language and content that may not be suitable for all listeners. I was pouring drink number three when my phone rang. I'm 20 years old, a little drunk, and an hour from now, I will have almost shot my colleague in the chest in front of three police officers and two frozen dead bodies. Weird. I can't say that I'm mentally ready for what I'm about to see this evening. Who's ready to walk into a garage with a Chevy Cavalier riddled with bullets and two frozen dead men inside? My name is Grant, and these are my funeral home stories. Chapter 2. Three drinks, two dead, one candy bar. It's about 6 o'clock on a Tuesday. It's February, and factoring in the wind chill, it's negative 14 degrees outside. I've been off of work for about an hour. And I'm not on call tonight, so naturally I'm just finishing up my second drink and considering whether to order pizza or Chinese tonight. The phone rings as I'm pouring my next drink. It's Andy, one of the directors from the funeral home. Apparently the person he's on call with this evening is unreachable. If it's your job to be on call, you don't want this to happen. It's kind of the equivalent of a no-call, no-show at any other job. If you're on call, the only thing you have to do is wait for the phone to ring. And when it does, you answer it. It's not that hard. Andy is calling me to ask if I would fill in and go on a police call with him. There was a shooting, and apparently there are two frozen dead bodies in a car inside the police station. Why are they at the police station? Great question. Apparently, it was too cold outside to investigate and process the crime scene. So they moved the crime scene, in this case, a car, to a heated garage inside the police station. This all sounds incredibly interesting to me, but there's only one problem. I'm drunk. Well on my way too drunk, and I'm not old enough to drink. I'm not going anywhere near a police station. I explained to Andy that I'm in no condition to drive to the funeral home and meet him, and he'd have to find someone else. 
He interrupted me and said, you're not old enough to drink. Stay put, I'm picking you up. See you in 10. He hung up the phone before I had time to argue. Well, looks like I'm going to the police station. Against all better judgment, I finished my third drink as I put on my double-breasted black suit. Side note, all my other suits were at the dry cleaners. I hate this suit. It makes me look like a walking rectangle. It's our funeral home's policy that we dress cleanly and professionally while in public. This means you ruin a lot of good dress clothes, but at least you look sharp. And you can write off your dry cleaning. I run a razor over my face as our funeral home has a strict no facial hair policy as well. No mustaches, no goatees, no beards. I'm not sure why this is a rule, it just is. I make sure to get myself in order. The last thing I want to do tonight is walk into a police station looking like a sloppy, drunk, unshaven, underage mess. Could I get fired for getting an underage drinking ticket while at work? I sure hope not. I hear a horn. Andy's out front in a 2004 black Pontiac minivan. Instead of back seats, the van has a polished oak floor with rollers spaced evenly down the length of the van. These rollers were to aid in sliding caskets in and out. Tonight the van is loaded with two stretchers. I decide to wear a heavy wool four-button top coat, scarf, and rubberized dress boots by Echo. All black, of course. Always spend extra money on boots. You don't want your socks wet. Although I hate this suit, I'm wearing my favorite necktie. It's navy blue, black, and white striped, and made by Ralph Lauren. Remember this tie. My favorite tie. It comes up later. On my way out the door, I stuff a handful of garlic-flavored chips in my mouth and pull a Nestle Butterfinger candy bar out of the pantry. The garlic will help cover up the three Jack and Cokes I just had and put a little food in my stomach. The Butterfinger, well, that's my reward. I'll eat it on the way home. I fucking love Butterfingers. And why not reward myself for what I'm about to do? I'm not even on call tonight. I deserve it. From my house to the police station, it's about 10 minutes. It's a straight shot with no traffic. Andy starts nervously giggling almost immediately when my door closes. Funeral directors are generally interesting people, but our pal Andy, he's a real card. I'm going to tell you a few things about Andy and hopefully not sound too judgmental in the process. Andy had a gastric bypass surgery three years ago and has lost about 150 pounds. I don't think he's gone clothes shopping since his weight loss. All of his suits look like they're about five sizes too big. His skin is loose around his jawline, giving him a permanent droopy dog expression. It's weird seeing someone whose clothes and skin don't fit their body. He's a nervous guy, he's always afraid of getting in trouble, but somehow he's blindly confident. That's it for the positives. Andy talks the most deliberate and malicious shit about everyone in the office. It's pathological at this point. I'm not sure he's even aware of it. You really have to watch what you say around this guy. I mean, if you don't want it repeated or used against you, don't say it around Andy. Andy's jumped from funeral home to funeral home around the country, settling just long enough to fuck things up and make a quick exit. He was a creep, and we found out a few years later that he was stealing from one of our funeral homes. He had his moments, but for the most part, I didn't want anything to do with this guy, especially after drinking almost half of my $36 bottle of Gentleman Jack. Actually, I'm probably just drunk enough to enjoy his company. We turn onto Roosevelt. The police station is on our right. Andy has managed to keep the van under control, even with the several inches of black ice and snow covering the roads. Andy tells me that we're to call a number when we're outside the police station parking garage. An officer will open the giant chain gate and let us in. The car with the bodies is in a separate heated garage inside the structure. Okay, it's settling in now. I'm kinda hammered. Last time I checked, I'm still not old enough to drink. I'm walking into a police station. My plan is to keep my head down and stay as far out of breath-smelling distance as possible. 
I'm so happy I decided to eat those chips before I left. I can still taste the garlic. Garlic breath is better than booze breath. I'm fairly certain they won't lock me up for having bad breath. Andy calls the number. The gate opens and we drive down a pretty drastic slope and enter the garage filled with a fleet of police cars. There must have been 40 decked out Chevy Impalas. We pull forward. An officer signals us to stop at a plain gray door on our right. Andy had brought two stretchers. One standard, one oversized. We get out of the van and unload them. The officer tells us to follow him. We walk down three different beige hallways. No windows, just cinder block. I realize that I've completely lost my bearings when we come to the end of the hallway with another gray door. I feel a combination of claustrophobia and vertigo hit me all at once. Or maybe that was drink number three. The officer opens the big gray door and Andrew and I wheel our stretchers into a 20 by 20 garage lit by the brightest fluorescent lights I've ever experienced. Welcome to the crime lab garage. Immediately I'm almost knocked to the floor by a smell that burns my nasal cavities. It wasn't the smell of rotting flesh or piss or shit. I've smelled all those things before. This was new. This was so unique. I'd smelled it before at the funeral home, but where? It was like a chemical smell. Mm. Ammonia. That's it. It smelled like someone had taken two or three large bottles of ammonia and just poured them all over the room. I look at Andy as we park the stretchers. We make eye contact and I point at my nose while simultaneously making a confused face. What the fuck is that? I whisper. Andy pulls two pair of blue heavy-duty surgical gloves out of the front pocket of his stretcher, hands me a pair, and then proceeds to blow my mind. He tells me that the strong ammonia odor is coming from the blood. Apparently when someone dies suddenly, all the blood cells in the body make one last screaming effort to stay alive and dump a ton of waste into the bloodstream. The waste is what gives the blood a strong scent of ammonia. You know when someone says they can smell blood in a movie or TV show? I think this is what they're talking about. Now that I have my gloves on and have adjusted to the smell, I take off my overcoat and suit jacket and tuck my tie between two buttons on my white dress shirt. This is simply precautionary. There is nothing worse than dipping your tie into something gross. It's almost always uncleanable. It's at this moment I'm able to take in the scene. Perhaps it's the alcohol, but something feels off. Under rows and rows of fluorescent lights sits a maroon Chevy Cavalier with all four doors and trunk wide open. There are two men in the back seat. The hood appears to have some stray bullet holes, but it seems that most of the shots were through the windshield, windows, and door panels. The windshield is barely able to hold itself up. The lights are reflecting too much off the shattered windshield to make out any clear details about the men from my current vantage point. Andy and I walk around the car to figure out our plan of attack. He flips open a black vinyl body bag, unzips it, and places it on the ground next to the car. Andy tells me his plan. If they're that frozen in a seated position, we won't be able to move them that easily. So we'll wiggle them out, lay them on the body bag, and zip it up around them. This sounds good to me. We move in. We decide to start with the body in the driver's side back seat. The door is already open and the hinges appear to be hyperextended. The crime scene techs probably did it while they were scrubbing the scene. I finally take in the two dead men sitting in the back seat in front of me. These guys must have been a couple years older than me both wearing Tim's, black jeans, and black jackets, like the big down jackets. One man had a new era baseball cap on while the other had a black stocking cap. I didn't see any logos, but the brain matter, bullet holes, and blood may have made it hard to spot. The ammonia smell inside the car is completely overwhelming. Blood is literally everywhere on the interior. Chunks of thawing brain and meat are all over the headrest. I pick up a piece near the seatbelt and squeeze it with my fingers. 
It's still a little frozen, so it crunches a bit before turning into mush. I wipe my hand on a clean part of the interior. Bullet holes are weird. For something that can end your life so quickly, they don't leave much of a mark on their way in. Now on the way out, that's a totally different story. I have no idea how many times these men were shot, but bullet holes were everywhere. Chin, thighs, under the eyeballs, almost every part of their body had at least one bullet hole in it. I didn't see their feet though. This is gore. This is a complete horror show. Someone wanted these men dead. Like, seriously dead. Was it the driver? Or the front seat passenger? There must have been someone sitting in the front seat. Why else would two grown men sit in the back seat together when there was an open front seat? By the number of holes, two people had to have shot up this car. And it was definitely people they thought they were close with. With half my body in the car, the smell of ammonia is blending with the smell of shit, which is undoubtedly oozing from the many holes in these men's stomachs. Thankfully, the taste of the garlic chips and whiskey I had earlier keeping me from gagging. Both men looked like they were sleeping, like someone's dad or brother in the backseat on a road trip, but riddled with holes and covered in smelly blood and thawing human chunks. There's only enough room for one of us in the car's backseat door opening, so Andy gets in the driver's seat backwards and reaches back around the front seat to help shimmy the body out. I press the button and unbuckle the seatbelt. It whips back into its home position, startling Andy and I. Everything in this car is covered with blood or some sort of human matter. My gloves are literally covered in blood from just unbuckling the seatbelt. And now the taste of the ammonia smell is dripping its way back through my throat. The officers are having some sort of quiet discussion standing by the door we came in earlier. It's not uncommon for police officers to be completely apathetic about crime scenes when the funeral homes arrive. The investigation is basically over. Tonight, these officers couldn't care less about their scene. They just wanted to get these bodies moved out of the garage so they could get home to their families. I get that, but their lack of supervision is troubling, especially with what happens next. I am now completely hunched over the body in the back passenger seat. Andy is supervising from the front, turned around in the driver's seat with his gloved hands on the headrest. I tell Andy that I think I'm strong enough to just grab his right forearm and slide his body out on my own. When I grab the man's forearm, I immediately feel something isn't right. I've grabbed lots of dead people's forearms before. None felt like this. It was so hard and rigid. Now, I understand he's frozen, but whatever I'm grabbing onto isn't human. It's something else. It's thin and hard. Like metal. It feels like one of those canes you'd buy at a drugstore. The three drinks circulating through my bloodstream make me curious, but pensive. I tell Andy that I'm not touching a man's arm. There's something else in his jacket. I interrupted the police officer's conversation. Hey, something isn't right here. An officer and I switch places as he pulls out a tactical knife and starts cutting away the sleeve to the down jacket. It's a fucking gun, he says. I look over his shoulder and see the open sleeve of a jacket revealing a sawed-off shotgun. The inside of the coat was some sort of bright orange material, so the short barrel of the gun stood out. And so did the trigger, but not because of its color. It stood out because a frozen dead man's finger is hooked over and frozen around it. Did I mention the gun was cocked? This means that the slightest movement would have caused a round to discharge. The gun would have fired directly into the driver's seat, the seat where Andy was supervising from. Apparently, Andy and I noticed this at the same time. And the next sound we hear is an officer saying, Gun! Loaded gun! Andy and I step back while the officers deal with the gun. Andy is freaked out and turns some blotchy, greenish-yellow color. Andy says, I don't like guns. I don't like guns. It's cool, man. Nobody got shot. I say, not being too sympathetic. 
I'm definitely drunk now, and the idea of a frozen dead man shooting my partner in the chest is kind of hilarious, even if it would have been my fault. Andy quickly moves towards the door and says, I need to get some fresh air. He scurries out like an asshole and lets the door slam behind him. Almost at the same moment the door closed, the three officers approached me from behind. We got it out. It was loaded. Your buddy's lucky you didn't shoot him in the chest. I just giggle to myself and tell the officers my partner needed some air. I tell them that I'll make the removals myself and they don't even have to get their hands dirty. How hard could it be? I'll just grab and pull. Moving these bodies was very easy. Frozen bodies move as one piece. Regular room temperature bodies are just floppy dead weight. These guys were solid. It was like moving two heavy end tables out of your friend's car. The sound of the two bodies hitting the cold cement after pulling them out was very satisfying. Just a loud, hollow, frozen thud. I'm surrounded by awfulness, and all I can think about is how proud I am that I just handled this crime scene on my own. I can't wait to eat that Butterfinger waiting for me in the car. It's a fitting reward, but also something to get rid of this ammonia and garlic taste overpowering my senses at the moment. Andy still hasn't come back, and we're about to zip up the last body bag. An officer had put on a pair of gloves to help me maneuver the second man's rigid bent knees into the body bag. This man's body was like a complicated Tetris piece. We each grab a zipper on either side of the black vinyl bag, and we zip our respective ends until they meet in the middle. I nod my head at the officer and say, that's how it's done. The officer looks at me sternly and says, did you just come from a party? I look at him confused and say, what? He tells me that he just got a waft of alcohol. It reeks like booze over here. I close my mouth quickly and my heart begins to beat out of my chest. I must smell like a distillery. So much for those garlic chips. Laughing, I tell him. On a Tuesday? Come on, man. The officer stands up and says, let's run a talk screen on these guys to find out how out of it they were. Whew. Looks like I dodged a bullet. How did he smell my whiskey breath over the ammonia smell? Does my breath just smell like straight rubbing alcohol? I feel bad that these guys got blamed for my alcohol breath, but at least I won't be walking out of here with an underage drinking ticket. Calming down and feeling relieved, I look down at my shirt and see that my necktie, my very favorite Ralph Lauren necktie, had fallen out of my shirt at some point and had been dipped into some smelly, smelly blood. Fuck. Of course, I ruined my favorite necktie on the night I'm not even supposed to be working. I undo the knot and throw the tie into a biohazard bag. The rest of the removal was kind of a blur because I was laser focused thinking about that Butterfinger I'd left in the car. The alcohol plus all the blood smell had kind of made my stomach sour. My mouth starts to water thinking about that candy bar. One of the officers helps me wheel the stretchers out to the van in the main area of the police station parking garage. I can see exhaust coming out of our van. It's on. Did we leave it on? I open the back of the van to find Andy laying down in the center of the wood roller board. He's startled and jumps up to a seated position and says, I'm sorry, man. Guns really freaked me out. I almost got shot. I, I thought I was going to pass out. I noticed a yellow wrapper sitting next to his right leg. He noticed that I noticed. Oh yeah, I owe you a candy bar. All at once, my dislike for Andy hit me like a tidal wave. I ruined my favorite tie, and this asshole ate my candy bar. I didn't say a word. I just imagined what it would have been like if that shotgun would have gone off. My name is Grant, and these are my funeral home stories. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you did, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Have a question or comment? Follow me on social media, at Pomo and Kitch. Check out my other podcast, How to Become a Terrible Person, also available on the iHeartRadio app. Thanks for listening.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.